Section 17 of Edward the Black Prince by Louise Creighton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 15. English Politics, Part 1. The England to which the Black Prince returned was in many ways different from the England which he had left. The country had suffered one great loss. The good Queen Philippa, so long the faithful wife of edward the third had died in thirteen sixty nine by her wisdom and virtue she had been of great use to the king and had been beloved through all the kingdom deprived of her counsel edward fell under the influence of one of the ladies of her bedchamber alice perrers a woman of great wit and beauty who ruled him at her will and who was used as a tool by the different political parties it was a melancholy end for the bright, vigorous king to come to. The external splendor and glory of his reign was gone. His court had lost its brilliancy. He himself seemed almost to have sunk into a premature dotage. But though the last years of his reign were not as brilliant as the former years, they are perhaps more important for the history of our country, for in them we see the beginning of a great political struggle, which left most important traces upon the development of our constitution and we are also able to trace the remarkable increase of the power and influence of parliament in these struggles the black prince for the first time in his life appeared as a politician and the part which he took in them earned for him as much glory as his victories of poitiers or Naharaith. all through edward's reign parliament had been increasing in power but we shall not be able to understand the way in which it had developed unless we go back and try to find out what it was at the beginning of edward's reign there had always been under the norman kings a great council composed of the chief men of the kingdom by whose assent and consent the crown acted but besides the advice of these nobles the kings felt the need of the money of their people and to obtain this the more easily they summoned some of them to sit side by side with their advisers in the great council the old arrangement of the shires and the shire courts gave a means of getting representatives first knights to be chosen from every shire were summoned to the meetings of the great council and finally simon de montfort in twelve sixty four summoned also burgesses from the chief cities edward i's pressing need for money drove him to follow the example of simon de montfort and summon these representatives to parliament for the purpose of obtaining from them more easily grants of money this privilege however of sending representatives to parliament was not one which the towns were eager to grasp the burgesses did not care to leave their business and undertake an expensive and dangerous journey to attend the parliament when they got there they had nothing to do but vote grants of money it was only slowly and without any outward struggle that the knights who represented the shires and the burgesses who represented the cities came to take any part in legislation it was in this respect that the reign of edward the third saw a great change in the parliaments of edward i each order had deliberated separately the clergy the barons the knights and the burgesses made their grants separately at first the barons and the knights whose interests were very similar tended to combine the importance of the burgesses however increased during the reign of edward the second as the barons needed their aid in the struggle against the crown 
as they increased in importance the knights of the shire seem to have broken off their connection with the barons and joined with the burgesses in the beginning of the reign of edward the third we find the knights and burgesses combined together under the name of the commons that the knights of the shire united with the burgesses and not with the barons is a fact of immense importance in our constitutional history had they united with the barons the aristocratic party would have been the strongest in the state as it was the commons were to be the strongest in the reign of edward the third therefore we find parliament divided very much as it now is into the upper and lower houses edward i had included representatives of the clergy in his parliament but the clergy though forced to obey his summons had objected to sit with the other members they would only vote supplies in their own provincial convocations that is assemblies of the clergy of the two ecclesiastical divisions or provinces of york and canterbury the clergy wished to keep themselves apart as a privileged order and so did not seize the opportunity given them by edward i of forming part of the national parliament only the spiritual peers that is the members of the higher clergy who by holding land directly from the crown were in the same position as the barons sat in the upper house of parliament it was during the reign of edward the third that the commons first began to feel their power and importance and really to desire the privilege of sitting in parliament this is one of the signs of the progress they made at this time they were eager to make laws and the king himself shared their eagerness and in consequence this reign is marked by fussy legislation on many different points trade and manufactures were the great interests of the age and they were represented by the commons whose desire was to benefit them as they thought by making laws for their regulation they had not learnt the great lesson that trade prospers best when it is left alone by lawmakers continually the laws when made were found to have quite different results to what the lawmakers had expected and had to be repealed the next year this restless desire to interfere in everything was very harmful to trade and industry there were so many changes that people found it difficult to know what the law really was many of the laws were not attended to at all as it was impossible to watch over the people narrowly enough to see that they were obeyed we have seen how parliament tried to fix the price of labour in the same way it tried to fix the price of everything else it fixed the price at which tailors should make clothes at which poultry meat bread and other articles of ordinary consumption were to be sold even the number of dishes which a man might have for dinner was fixed by law these laws have left no permanent impression on english history and are interesting only as giving indications of the manners and customs of the times they serve also to show how greatly the energy of parliament increased in this reign there are other and more important things which show us the great increase of its power it had always been the theory of the english constitution that the king could not raise money without the consent of the great council of the realm but this had often been little more than a theory in this reign it became a clearly recognized fact that no money could be raised except with the consent of parliament and we find edward the third always appealing to parliament in his necessities parliament also established its right to petition against grievances 
and insisted upon the necessity of both houses agreeing before any change could be made in the laws edward the third held frequent parliaments and made it his practice to consult them on all matters even on what had been always supposed to belong entirely to the king the making of war and peace he seemed to wish to throw upon parliament the responsibility of his expensive wars probably he hoped that if the war was ostensibly carried on by the advice of parliament it would be easier to obtain grants of money for its expenses the commons however were not very eager to advise on these difficult points saying that they were too simple and ignorant to be able to do so and promising to agree to anything which the king and his council might decide upon in raising money for his wars edward the third drew largely from the clergy whose wealth made them very tempting subjects for taxation the clergy had long claimed immunity from taxation and from all the burdens of the state but in this age they could not hope to enforce such a claim they were the wealthiest class in the land when the french wars increased the necessities of the crown and obliged edward to demand large subsidies from parliament all eyes were turned to the clergy as the body who though not touched by the general taxes was yet most able to contribute money the clergy could not refuse the king's demands but when they had to pay money to the king they became more unwilling to send the pope the subsidies which he demanded the popes at this time were both poorer and more avaricious than they had been before they regarded england as their great source of wealth and demanded large sums of money from the clergy the effect of this was to put the english clergy as a body in opposition to the pope and to make them more national in their feelings than they had been before they placed the interests of their country far before the interests of the papacy this was a time of great degradation for the papacy which had sunk so low as almost to lose men's reverence the cause of this degradation lay in the struggle which had taken place some time before between philip the fair king of france and pope boniface the eighth boniface's ambition had led him to try and set up the power of the papacy over the affairs of every country of europe but philip the fair would not brook his interference in france he quarrelled with him and sent men to seize and ill-treat him in his own palace boniface died through rage and despair at this insult philip after trying in vain to get complete submission out of the next pope at last succeeded in getting a pope of his own choosing in clement v he promised obedience to philip and fixed his abode at avignon instead of rome that he might be nearer the french king avignon was in provence just outside the french border in the dominions of the king of naples for seventy years the seat of the papacy remained there and this has been called the time of the babylonish captivity the popes during this period acted in the interests of the french king most of them were french by birth all of them were french in their sympathies their european position seemed lost and with it the awe and reverence with which they had been regarded the english at war with france were not likely to bear the encroachments made by a french pope and clergy laity and king joined together to repel them End of section 17